Um, but uh, welcome to the live stream for Farmington Baptist Church. Um, it's probably good to hit unmute from time to time, I guess. But um, regardless, um, it, right below is Chad Harwell's um, email address. And so what we'd like you to do is take a picture of the people in your living room and then send them to us. Um, and at the end of this live stream, we're going to post those and, and see each other um, at the end of this particular live broadcast. We just heard from Greg. He prayed for us. And now we're going to go to uh, Seth and Heather's house, and they are going to lead us in worship. Right after that, we will go to Brad Ratledge's house, and then we'll be right back here. So here we go. Hey, church family. We are not doing a remix this week. <laughs> Uh, so we invite you to sing with us Psalm 34, Taste and See.
chapter 12 verse 1. So here we go. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual act of worship. A living sacrifice. A lot of people when they come to this text um, start talking about the sacrifices in the Old Testament of the lambs of the um, of the lambs of the goats of, of the things of that nature. But um, that is not exactly where this started. Uh, if you turn over to Numbers chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading with verse 16, um, we will go from there. So Numbers chapter 8, verse 16, and it says this. Well, let's start with verse 14. I think we would uh, be better off doing that. It says this. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. So let me give you some background to, to Numbers chapter, chapter 8. This is actually um, during 
the second uh, Passover. Uh, originally, this message that you're hearing today was going to be a little bit different. At the very beginning, when I started thinking about this message um, a year ago, what I was going to do was I was going to start with the, um, the Passover in Exodus. And we were going to, on stage, do that Passover in, in, in Exodus. The lamb, the whole, whole nine yards as much as we could. We were then going to transition into the Passover meal that the Jews began to um, do after that period of time. Probably after King David, somewhere in there, they came up with some stuff that they added to that meal. And so we were going to go through the symbolic nature of that meal. That meal is not biblical. There's nothing biblical about it. There's nothing biblical that tells you how to do that particular meal. And then we were going to transition to Jesus. And when he had his Passover meal and how he changed the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper. He, he took the cup and said, that this is my you know, blood. He took the bread and said, this is my body. And that is why we actually um, remember his death. We remember his, his sacrifice for us on the cross, and we do that through communion, through that communion. So I was going to start with the biblical one in Exodus, what they did at first, merge into this one, and then go to Jesus. Because Jesus actually has a meal that um, has some of the elements of what people added to it throughout history. So... Even though it wasn't guided by scripture, Jesus recognized that this was a moment where they were remembering their exodus from Egypt. Now, the Passover is, is a time originally where they ate the lamb and they put blood on the doorpost because the angel, the death angel of the Lord was going to come into Egypt and kill all the firstborn. And so it was only the blood that was on the doorpost at that particular time, that if you had blood on the doorpost, your family was safe. If you didn't have the blood on the doorpost, um, your family wasn't safe, and the firstborn was going to die. And that's precisely what happened. This Passover was to remember that night, to remember the night when you had to be ready to go, when you were freed from slavery. So verse 14 of Numbers says, then you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. And after that, the Levites shall go in to serve at the tent of meeting. And when you have cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the people of Israel, instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the people of Israel, I have taken them for myself. For all the firstborn among the people of Israel are mine, both of man and beast. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the people of Israel to do the service for the people of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement for the people of Israel, that there may be no plague among the people of Israel when the people of Israel come near the sanctuary. So I don't, I don't want to necessarily unpack this whole text here today other than to say this. This is where the living sacrifice comes from. The concept of the living sacrifice comes from. 
the Levites were taking the place of all the firstborn in all the tribes of Israel. They took the place of them. In other words, God did not require all the firstborn people, firstborn males, to be dedicated to him from all the tribes of Israel. He instead substituted them with the Levites, and that is what this is saying. So the Levites were chosen to work in the tabernacle, in the temple of God. They were, they were told to do and live life a particular sort of way because they were the ones that were going to take the place of the rest of the tribes of Israel in that particular position. So God substituted this group of people in for everyone else. They became the living sacrifice. So this is what it meant for them. First, they were a living sacrifice. I've kind of said that, haven't I? Second, they had no attachment. The Levites had no attachments to this world. They didn't really own land. They really didn't own houses. They really didn't have any attachments. In fact, they, they could live in certain cities throughout all of the promised land. So there was never any land given to the Levites. So no attachment to this world. They were living sacrifices. They had a different sort of existence. And basically, they had a different job to do. They were supposed to make sure that the tabernacle ran correctly. And Leviticus is a priestly manual so that they would know exactly how to run the sanctuary according to the way God wanted them to. They were also required to, to change the way that they did life. Um, they were required to live holy um, in the tabernacle and outside of the tabernacle. So they're living sacrifice, no attachment to this world, and they were required to live holy according to the way God wanted them to live or had instructed them to live. They were examples. In fact, you can say that a living sacrifice of the Levites, they were representatives of God on earth. Um, and with lives that were restructured, with lives that were different, with lives that constantly pointed people to God. And so they became a living sacrifice, living like God wanted them to, um, thinking like God wanted them to think. And so by living that way, they became holy and acceptable, and their whole lives became lives that actually worshipped the Lord in everything that they did. And the service that they did in the tabernacle was an act of worship. Um, when they went home to the cities, they were supposed to live like Levites. That was an act of worship uh, for all the people around them to see they were representatives of God. And so when we turn over to Romans chapter 1, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It is a reference to Numbers chapter 8. And this is what it's saying. Brothers, sisters, people that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, are now supposed to give their lives as living sacrifices to the Lord in service to him, to not no longer be attached to this world, to live like he wants them to live, and that everything that they do in life, whether it's at work or at, at play or whether it's at home or whether it's at church, is actually supposed to be lived out as a worship um, moment, as acts of worship to our divine creator. We are supposed to be different. Now, how do you become 
a child of God. How do you become a person that becomes a representative of who he is on this earth? Well, this is how you do it. You have to have a moment where you feel guilty or convicted of your sins. You have to realize that you're a sinner. There's no way anybody can be saved unless they realize that they're a sinner. If they think they're perfect, they don't need to be saved. You have to come to a place where you realize that you've sinned and there's a penalty for that sin and you will be punished for that sin. Then you hear about this God that holds you to a standard of holiness that you can't meet and that's why you think you've sinned. But this God decided to send his son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty for the sins, your sins, on the cross of Calvary by shedding his blood and dying. And then three days later, raising himself from the dead for new life. And so you believe that Jesus Christ took the penalty for your sins upon the cross. And so you pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the, on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty for my sins and I accept him as my savior. You have to have a moment in time where you pray to receive Jesus as your savior, asking him to forgive you of your sins. And it's at that moment that you become a Christian and a child of God. You actually become what the New Testament calls a priest of God a representative of him on earth. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, begins to guide your life, and then you can present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It is what you need to do. It's, it's what you do. So a living sacrifice. You, you get rid of all this other stuff that you want to be, all this other stuff that that you've attached yourself to in this life and you become a living sacrifice, living exactly the way that God wants you to live. It is a wonderful thing. Now, back early in my ministry, um, I was a youth pastor up in Franklin County, Virginia, uh, Franklin Memorial Baptist Church. In fact, the church is still going strong and, and I keep track of, of those people and, and what they're doing. They're actually having drive-in church today, which is an amazing thing. So that, that's really a good thing. When I was up there as a youth pastor, I would live with different, different families on the weekend. I would stay with them on the weekend. I would come in on Friday and leave on Sunday evening, and, and they were gracious enough to give me a place to stay. Um, one, one particular family, the man was a, um, Chuck was his name, he was a Green Bay Packers fan. And so what I did was I decided that I was going to like football, and I was going to become a man of football. So what I did was, was I got me a, a Green Bay Packers hat and I got me a cup, a cup with Green Bay Packers symbol on there. And so every Sunday afternoon, give or take a few, every Sunday afternoon, I would watch the football games on, on TV and root for the Packers. Oh, I was, I was a Packers fan. But there was a problem with it. The problem was I really wasn't that into football. I was trying to be into football. I was trying to fit into that mold because everyone around me seemed to be uh, football fans and I wanted to be a football fan too. 
But I never crossed the line to where I really was a football fan. I really only knew one player on the Green Bay Packers football team, and that was Brett Favre. I really enjoyed him being a quarterback. I really enjoyed the way he threw the ball. I really didn't understand all that he was doing, but at the same time, I thought, man, this guy is really good, and I really like him. So I knew him, but I, I didn't know anyone else that was playing football. I just didn't. So I had to come to grips with the fact that I was trying to fit into a mold that that I really didn't need to fit into. I, I, I really needed to step back. I stepped back and said, you know, I like football, but it is not something that I'm a fan of. Oh, on the other side of that, I am a fan of music. I love music. If you come to my house at any time, generally there's, there's music playing. The reason it's not playing right now is because I'm doing this live stream broadcast. I can list different people that play music, different bands that play music. I can tell you history behind albums and how they came to be because I've read about it, because it's something that interests me. I am a fan. Andrew Peterson, what you just heard there, Is He Worthy?, which is an amazing song, is off of his Resurrection Letters album, Volume 1. And it's at the end of that album. And he wrote it, and then it just it just blew up. Everybody, you know, Chris Tomlin started singing it. Shane and Shane started singing it. It's just, a, it's just a great song. I love music. The point to this is, is this. You should not live your life to where you're trying to fit into someone else's mold. Or that they are trying to put a mold on you. The way that you should live your life is to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Read his word, pray, spend time with him, learn how he wants you to live, and then live that way during the day. If I'm speaking to believers this morning on, on their TV screens or on their devices or whoever it may be, this is what I know. You are tuned in because somewhere deep in your soul, you want to be like God. You want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that you want to be like God like Eve did, equal to him, but you want to live in such a way where you please him and where you're a witness for him during the week. I believe that with all my heart. And so, so you, to do that, you have to present your body as a living sacrifice. You have to let go of some things. You have to let go of the things that you have in this life. Now, I have a house, obviously, I'm in a house, right? I have a car. I have a computer that I'm using for this, for this live stream. I have stuff. However, I'm not attached to it. You see, this computer I'm, I'm using right now is on loan from God. This house that I live in right now is on loan for God. There is nothing in this world that I want to take with me into the next life. See, my home is not here. And so a living sacrifice says, I'm not going to be att attached to the things of this earth. I'm going to be attached to the things that are going to happen in the future. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That means that somewhere in heaven, I have a plot of land. I have a living space that I'm going to go to one day. That is where my home is. That is what I'm attached to. And so I sacrifice everything here. It's just stuff. That's all it is. And it's all wasting away so that I can be a representative of him here, no attachment. That means I live differently than everyone else. That means that I'm a representative of God. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that about yourself? 
how many of you played with Play-Doh? Played with Play-Doh? Yeah? You played with some Play-Doh when you were a kid? Um, I don't know about you, but I had some molds that I had. Um, and so it, we would have the can of Play-Doh, right? We'd take the Play-Doh out. You know how this works. And you would get these molds and you would make like um, moons and happy faces and, and fish and stars. And even you had these little people, at least I had these little people that were about this tall. And you would shove the, the Play-Doh up inside of them and then it would come out of their hair, right? Out of their hair and continue and grow. And then, excuse me, you would, you would cut it off, right? You would cut off the hair. Um, it was fun, but everything you would, you would take that Play-Doh went and put a mold in, you can make it different shapes. Like you can make it a basketball one time, a banana the next, a star the next. You can make it into um, a pencil. You can make it into a ruler. You can make it into just different shapes, squares, circles, whatever. And each different mold that you, you would do, you would just make that Play-Doh into the different mold. And then at the end, you'd put that Play-Doh back into the Play-Doh container, and then it would become the shape of the container. Now, why am I talking about Plato? Well, look at um, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. In fact, if you were to translate that directly from the Greek, it would say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You see, there's a lot of people, including Christians, that from day to day to day, they are molded into something that they shouldn't be molded into. It's like they're Play-Doh, and this happens, and so this shape takes over their life and shapes them in this way. And then a little bit later, the world changes, and so the mold goes in, and they are shaped in a different way. So they go from being a basketball to a banana, so to speak. They look totally different. And so they continue to adjust. They continue to let the world take a mold and put it on top of their Play-Doh and mold them into place. Paul says here, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not allow the world to take your thinker in your mind, to take your thinker and mold it in a particular way, to fashion it in a particular way. Do not let that happen. But instead, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, your mind that has been molded by the world, molded by the flesh, molded by this age for so long, once you become a Christian, you lay your life down as a sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you no longer allow the world to mold your thinking. You actually let Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the three in one, mold who you are and transform the thinking of your mind. The thinking of your mind. Have you ever heard, you know, raise the roof? You know, well, maybe that day to day, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people don't raise the roof anymore, but you know, you raise the roof, raise the roof, raise the roof, right? I can't dance, I'm white. So you, you raise the roof, right? In life, we should not be raising the roof, we should be raising the floor. We should be raising the floor and forget about the roof. The floor is what needs to be raised. You see, when, when you are serious about God transforming your mind 
into the way that you should think according to him and the way that you should live according to him, what you're saying is there's something inside of me at the foundation that needs work, that needs molding. And I don't want the world to mold it. I don't want to be Play-Doh in the world's hand. I want God to mold my thinking. I want God to mold me to think like him. Because it's through that, right, God teaching you that you actually gain intelligence, that you actually gain um, the way to see the world in a different way than, than all this other stuff. You start to see the world through the lens of God and what he's doing rather than what the world is doing and the crisis that is here. So, so it's your foundation that you need to raise. It's very, very important. Very important. Every time you spend time with God and you learn something about the word, you're, the, wor the word, you, you build that foundation up. And the higher your foundation, the better you are when a crisis comes in your life. You see a low foundation, if there's a flood, it's going to cover that foundation. Um, we have a basement in my home. Um, we have flooded down there twice. I think we have it solved now. We've rerouted some water and done some stuff like that. We did not build it up, but it would have been nice to, to do that. But if your foundation is low, when, when the floods come in and when the crisis come in, it's going to cover that foundation. But if you build it up, eventually, as God transform your, transforms your mind, teaches you how to live, you're actually building a foundation and you're getting higher and higher and higher above. So when a crisis comes, it doesn't flood your, your house. It doesn't flood your faith. It doesn't make you doubt. It doesn't make you fear. It, you, you are not susceptible as much to that because you are living above the floodwaters on a plane where you are safe. You see, God doesn't want you to be molded into the fear of the world. He doesn't want you to be molded the very next day into worrying about this, that, and the other. He doesn't want you to be molded into, into thinking doom, 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 doom. Nothing's good, 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 good. I'm going to die, die, die. He doesn't want you to live with those particular thoughts. He wants to transform your mind to be like his, to, to live like he wants you to live so you can live above that. See, I could talk about sin too. Um, sin is the same way. Sin wants to mold you into this. Sin wants to mold you into that. Sin, you turn here. So there's all types of sin that comes into your life. Are you allowing the Lord to transform your mind in such a way that temptation today is easier to resist than it was last year? Because you have not raised the ceiling, you've raised the foundation. You see, if we live our Christian life to where we're always raising the ceiling and we're always trying to feel good about our faith and we're always trying to, you know, get into the praise music, whatever you, you want to do, and we, we want to emotionally attach, we keep raising the roof. What happens is in a building, you can actually uh, raise a roof to a point where the foundation can't hold it, where it's not safe anymore, where it is easily... Uh, pushed over because the foundation cannot sustain how high the roof is. I think a lot of times Christians, we live, we live with this faith thing that is very, very shallow and very, very, um, you know, experiential. And we have never really stopped long enough to allow God to transform our mind in the way that it should go and build up that foundation so that our experience matches our faith rather than trying to raise a roof and feel good all the time. 
we're actually learning how to think about things in life and we're using our noggin and God is guiding all of that and molding it with his thoughts and his mind and his outlook so that we can actually have a better life. Um, I think people sometimes get in ruts. You ever get a rut, a mind rut? You know, you get in a mind rut. Um, I'm sure that you've had this happen before, maybe not, but but have you ever had a car get stuck in the mud and there's like a rut and you're trying, and like you get stuck and, and you go forward and backward and forward and backward and forward and backward. What, does, what that does is it makes that rut, you know, um, deeper, 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 right? And, and you get further down in, in the rut. What you actually need to get out of the rut is you need someone that is powerful enough to push you out of it. Well, the first person that gets behind your vehicle to help you push yourself out of a rut is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ. They get behind you and they help you push out. The next group of people that help you do it is, is um, your Christian friends. See, there's value in small groups. There's value in small groups. If you're not a part of one, there's a place online that we have now on our website where you can sign up for a virtual small group and get connected to people. But it's Christian people that also get behind and help you push yourself out of a rut that you shouldn't be in. See, when you and I were born into this world, we immediately was in the rut where we were going to sin. I mean, we were going to sin, and it's these activities that we were going to do. Once we become a Christian, God has pushed us up on pavement, right? He's pushed us up on pavement to where, you know, we don't have to be in those ruts anymore. You know, I've been ministering for a very long period of time, and what I've seen from a lot of people is that they want to get out of their rut. They want to be on solid ground. They really want to build their foundation up, but for some reason... When times come up and, and, and times get tough, they go right back to that rut. They go right back to the way that they used to live. Well, that's just a sign that they have not allowed God to transform their mind into a different way of thinking, a different way of living. They, they've just raised the roof and they haven't raised, you know, the floor. And you need to raise the floor. You need to raise the floor. You see, you are what you think. You are what you think. When this crisis came up, you reacted exactly the way that you taught yourself to think. So whatever you have done up until this point is because of a belief system that is either a rut or it's on solid ground of God the Father and he has transformed your, your mind. So if you gave into fear, if you gave into worry, well, that is because you've taught yourself to think that way. If you said, okay, I don't know what's going on, I'm concerned about it, but I know God's going to get me through, and there was a confidence with it, that you were, you were taking it seriously, but there was a confidence with that, and you didn't give in to fear and, and wonder and just scared for everything, that's a different way of thinking. God wants you to be solid in your thinking. He wants you to be transformed into the way that he thinks about things and the way that he sees things. He wants that for you. So if you dove off the deep end into fear, if you dove off the deep end into worry, well, it's because you've trained yourself to do that. You are what you think. Now, I don't know about you, 
I want to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and I want Him to transform my thoughts and my mind in the way that it should go so that I live on solid ground above the crisis in life where I have to deal with them, but I'm not overcome by them where I'm not easily swayed and put into a Play-Doh mold by the world and all their news and all the stuff that you see on Facebook. And I'm not quickly put into that mold, but I'm, but I'm so secure in my sacrifice to God and not attached to this world in such a way that he can transform my mind so that I can think correctly. I hear Christians say a lot of times, I can't, I can't, I can't because... I can't because I have this issue. I can't because of this. I can't because of that. I'm here to tell you today that if you have a bunch of things you can't do, it is not God that is transforming your mind and renewing your mind. It's the world. The world wants you to go, I can't, I can't, I need, so that they can mold you easier. God wants you to say, I will get through this by faith. I will hold on to God through faith and get through this. Jesus is my source of strength and I will get through this. That is what God wants you to do. He wants you to say, I can, I can, I can. I can make it through this day. I can make it through tomorrow. I can make it through the next week. I can make it through this crisis. God is with me and he's transforming my mind and I believe what he says. So let me give you one of those. There is a verse of scripture that I think a lot of people has forgotten during this crisis. And here it is. There is an appointed time for man to be born, and there's an appointed time for man to die. And you're not going to miss either one of those dates. God appointed a time for you to be born into this world. It's scriptural. God has appointed a time for you to leave this world, and you're not going to miss it. So if I get the virus and die, it was my appointed time. And if I didn't get the virus and died at the exact same time, which I would, it would either be a car accident, a heart attack, um, something else that, that is catastrophic. But nonetheless, I would still not miss the date of my death. Now, you take that to transforming and renewing your mind, and you have something to live by. You start each day by saying, look, you know, I'm not going to miss the day of my death. The Bible says so, and I believe that. So I'm going to approach this day, and yeah, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to wash my hands. I can't believe that there's so many people that didn't wash their hands until we found out about this virus. But that's another soapbox message for another time. But nonetheless, you wash your hands. You're careful around people. You, you um, do certain things to kind of not get the virus. You know, I, didn't, I don't want people to be sick. I don't, I don't want people to go through that. I really don't. But at the same time, if I do those things and I still get the virus and die, I was not going to miss that day anyway. And it's in God's hands. God is in control. So, Lord, I sacrifice my tendency to listen to the media and get scared. I sacrifice, I lay my body as a living sacrifice to you to have faith to not worry. I'm going to be concerned 
I'm going to make sure that things are clean, but I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to let that mold my thinking and my life and get me down. I'm going to work with this anxiety thing that says, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm going to say, Lord, look, it's in, it's in your hands. It's in your hands. And I trust you to do the right thing. And so it is a mindset. It's what you think. And so you leave that mold that the world wants you to be in. And you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And you allow him to transform your mind so that you're not conformed to the pattern of this world. And your life is better for it. He wants you to build your foundation up. He wants you to be secure in him and not in the news and not in the stuff out here in the world and not in the different patterns of sin. He wants you to be secure in him and what he has said. And the security is there if you just go for it. It is there. Do not say I can't. Always say I can't. My wife, this past summer, when we could all be around each other, decided to buy a beach wagon. It was a wagon that they said that the wheels on it would roll in sand because that's what you want. You want the wheels to roll in sand because we put all their stuff in it and you know we, we take it out. Well, as we were walking, you know, with the wagon on the pavement, it rolled great. And then we walked down the path and over the bridge and man, that wagon was doing very well. But when it hit the deep sand, you know what happened to those wheels? They stopped rolling. And then all of a sudden you started dragging. You started dragging it across, you know, the, the sand there on the beach. And then you finally got to the place where you were going to set up and you set everything up, else up. You know what I think we do in life? I think sometimes that we just drag the world along with us. And there's times where the world, you know, just makes it easy for us to, you know, continue to go. And then we hit the sand and the wheels stop working. But we won't let go of the wagon, pick up the stuff inside and just carry it ourselves. We hold on to the wagon of, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't let go of this. I can't let go because of this wagon, because I have spent money on this wagon. I'm invested in this wagon, and this wagon was supposed to be mine, and, and we spent good money on it. Now it's mine. Now it's part of my identity, and it's just got to work, and this is, I can't, I can't let go of the wagon. It is time to let go of the wagon. It doesn't work. It is time to pick up the stuff inside the wagon and carry it because it's a lot easier. It's a lot more secure. It, you feel better about it when you're doing it that way. Let go of the wagon. See, every time a Christian says, I can't, I can't, I can't because of this and this and this, they are actually allowing the world to mold them into something that they're not. You need to let God transform your mind, let go of the wagon, and build that foundation up so that you can live above the crisis, so that you can live above your struggles. It's not that you're not going to struggle. You are, but you will struggle with a different set of eyes and a different set of, a different way to think is how you will struggle.
So I pray, my prayer for you today is that you will present your body as a living sacrifice to God, that you'll not be attached to the things in this world, that you will live according to the way he wants you to live, with the truths that he wants you to live in, that you will not allow yourself this week to be conformed by all the news and all the stuff that you will hear out there, whether it's written on Facebook or whether it's somewhere else, but that you instead will listen to the word of God that you will allow the word of God to mold your mind and mold your thinking so that you can build that foundation up, so that you can raise that floor up above the waters that are happening in this life. Remember, our home is not here. It's somewhere else. And God wants you to have a very secure life. He wants you to be faithful to him. And he always does the right thing. So that's the message for today. And um, I'm glad that you joined us. And I hope that you'll be back with us next week. We'll be back here at 1115, uh, same time. And we will be celebrating, um, we'll be celebrating Easter. So that, that will be awesome, the resurrected Christ. So until next week, grace and peace.